Radio. Hi, I'm Paul Ellard. Welcome to Our Queen, Our Mother, the Graces of the Blessed Virgin Mary. In our sessions, we will be exploring the topic of the Blessed Virgin Mary and why she is important to the Christian faith. With each talk, we will try and open up and explain in simple terms the Catholic Church's teaching on the Blessed Virgin Mary. We will also include a testimony of people who have experienced her love and grace in their own lives. So welcome to the program and let us begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for all the graces and blessings that you pour on us. We thank you for the life of Pope John Paul II. We especially thank you for his witness to his love of your mother. You call us to follow him in this example. And so as we look at this topic today, we ask you, Lord Jesus, to send your Holy Spirit to be with us, to enlighten us, to open our minds so that we can enter deeply into these wonderful mysteries of our faith and come to know and love you and serve you more and more. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, Pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Blessed Pope John Paul II, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome to the program. Today we want to look at the great Marian Pope, Blessed John Paul II. Now John Paul had a great devotion to Mary. He lost his own mum when he was just nine years old. So maybe in some strange way that helped him draw strength for life struggles to lose your mum at such a young age, to draw that strength from his heavenly mother. And then later during the war years, uh, when his life was constantly under threat, no doubt he would have drawn great strength from the comfort of Our Lady. As you know, he was studying to be a priest, but he had to do so as an underground seminarian because these were turbulent years and people who professed their faith were taken out and executed. But during these war years, he was introduced to Carmelite mysticism, and it was at that time he also uh, joined what's called Living Rosary Youth Groups. Now, the Living Rosary Youth Group was a collection of about 15 men, groups of 15 men, who prayed and lived their life in a unique combination of personal holiness and apostolic zeal, which um, John Paul would later say it was a kind of life that was completely unknown to us before. And obviously, as the name implies, it centers a lot around the rosary. Each group of 15 men would have like a leader, and John Paul would lead one of these groups. I have in front of me a, a number of photos of John Paul and one of them that always makes me smile is, is John Paul and I think he's working in the quarry mines, he's certainly doing labouring work. He has his shirt off 
but interesting, he's wearing his brown scapula. So you can see even in everyday life, Mary had a close connection with him. John Paul consecrated his priesthood to Mary in, in the very early stages of his priesthood. And so it was no surprise that later when he became bishop and pope, his coat of arms featured a blue shield with an off-centered cross and an M underneath it. And symbolically, this was representing Mary standing at the foot of the cross of her son. I'm sure many of you will remember those powerful images of John Paul's funeral, where there was a cross and an M on the lid of the simple coffin. It was very powerful symbols. And of course, wherever the Pope went, there were always people in the crowds who held up banners, totus tuus. This became the Pope's catch cry for the 27 years of his pontificate. And of course, totus tuus is Latin for all yours. It's an abbreviation of St. Louis de Montfort's formula in which he says, I am all yours, O Mary, and everything I have is yours. Totus tuus, those first two words in Latin of that expression, I am all yours. So Marian consecration is very important, and in fact it's so important we'll do a special program on it. But just to get some taste of the significance, let me share with you a couple of reflective points that Dr. Mark Maravalli has written on his website, Vox Populi. And I highly recommend this website to you. It's rich in so many articles on Our Lady. And he speaks in depth of John Paul II's understanding of Marian consecration. And he says, more than any other teacher of Marian consecration before him, the Pope rooted his teaching and practice in entrusting of John to Mary on Calvary. So that was the basis for his Marian consecration. And in his encyclical Redemptus Mater, Mother of the Redeemer, which he wrote in 1987, he says this, At the foot of the cross there begins that special entrusting of humanity to the Mother of Christ which in the history of the Church has been practiced and expressed in different ways. The same apostle and evangelist, after reporting the words addressed by Jesus on the cross to his mother and to himself, adds, And from that hour the disciple took her to his home. That's John 27. This statement certainly means that the role of the Son was attributed to the disciple and that he assumed the responsibility for the mother of his beloved master. And since Mary was given as mother to him personally, the statement indicates, even though indirectly, everything expressed by the intimate relationship of a child with its mother. And all of this can be included in the word entrusting. Such entrusting is the response to a person's love and in particular to the love of a mother. The Marian dimension of the life of a disciple of Christ is expressed in a special way precisely through this entrusting to the mother of Christ, which began with the testament of the Redeemer on Golgotha. Entrusting himself to Mary, the Christian, like the Apostle John, welcomes the mother of Christ into his own home 
and brings her into everything that makes up his inner life. That is to say, in his human and Christian I. He took her to his own home. That's all taken from Redemptus Martyr 45. So it's beautiful expression there. And in fact, you see when the Pope talks about Marian consecration, so often he uses that word entrustment, entrustment, rather than the word consecration, because perhaps it's a little bit, can be a little bit misleading, I suppose, and particularly if you're not sort of really into all this, the theology behind all this. But the word entrustment somehow speaks to our hearts. You know, we entrust ourselves to Mary. But the Pope goes on to stress that while it's a truly personal relationship with Mary, it's ultimately orientated to Jesus himself. This relationship, this self-entrusting of a child to its mother, not only has its beginning in Christ, but also can be said to be definitively directed towards him. Mary can be said to continue to say to each individual the words she spoke at Cana in Galilee. Do whatever he tells you. Precisely with her faith as spouse and mother, she wishes to act upon all those who entrust themselves to her as her children. It is well known that the more her children persevere and progress in this attitude, the nearer Mary leads them to the unsearchable riches of Christ. He's quoting Ephesians 3, 8 there. The unsearchable riches of Christ. There is a certain supernatural logic at work here, which may seem hard to grasp for those outside of the household of faith, and even to some of those within it. The more we manage to put ourselves entirely into the hands of Mary, the more fully we belong to Jesus. St. Louis de Montfort put it quite concisely. We consecrate ourselves at one and the same time to the Most Holy Virgin and to Jesus Christ. To the Most Holy Virgin as to the perfect means which Jesus Christ chose by which to unite himself to us and us to him and to our Lord as to our last end. To whom as our Redeemer and our God we owe all we are. In fact, the Church knows from the experience that Mary's mediation draws all of its power from the mediation of Christ and does not hinder it in any way, the immediate union of the faithful with Christ, but on the contrary fosters it. That last line was a, a quote from Lumen Gentium. So it was the genius of Pope John Paul II to be able to draw out this truth and all its implications in hundreds of different ways throughout his pontificate. You might recall in 1981 there was an attempted assassination on the Pope's life. The Pope always had an amazing view on life. He saw everything that happened to himself and to the world as our salvation history unpacking itself, telling its story, weaving and travelling along the road, unfolding the mystery and pointing to the bigger mystery of who Christ is and the coming of the kingdom. And so 
It's amazing. When you look at John Paul's attempted assassination, even that is just enshrouded in the history of salvation and God working in a mysterious way. What do I mean? Well, the Pope's assassination attempt was on the 13th of May, 1981. Now, the 13th of May is the Feast of Fatima. Now, you may not be familiar with Fatima, and Fatima is so important. We will deal with it when we look at apparitions of Mary. In fact, from time to time, we'll look at various apparitions of Mary. But Fatima is, is such an important message that if you only understand one Marian apparition, Fatima should be it. <laughs> so in 1917, Our Lady appeared to three children in a little town in Portugal that was named Fatima. The first apparition appeared on the 13th of May 1981 and continued every month right through until October. And Our Lady gave these three children a number of messages for the world and part of those messages were a number of secrets. And those secrets were not allowed to be revealed until a certain time. We have known the first and second secrets for many years now. But the third secret, as I grew up as a small boy, you know, we all talked about the third secret of Fatima, but we, we didn't know what it was. And it was not revealed until the year 2000. It was revealed in Fatima by John Paul himself on the beatification of Francesco and Cicenta. And by the grace of God, I was there on that day, and I'll never forget when the um, tour guide came in and said, the Pope is going to announce the third secret of Fatima this afternoon. Oh my goodness, we were all like taken aback. <laughs> but look, just for those who aren't familiar with the Fatima story, just very, very briefly so you get some context of what we're talking about here. The first secret of Fatima was a vision of hell that was shown to the visionaries and a prophecy that World War I would end soon. And also the warning that if the world did not change, there would be a worse war would come, and the good will be martyred, and the Holy Father will have much to suffer. Well, of course, we all know that that's exactly what happened with World War II. The second secret of Fatima involved the future of Russia. Our Lady said that Russia would spread her errors throughout the world, promoting wars, and she used this term, various nations will be annihilated. Very, very strong words indeed. But, like all Marian apparitions, they come with a great message of hope. And she said, I shall come to ask for consecration of Russia to my Immaculate Heart. If people attend to my requests, Russia will be converted and the world will have peace. Now later, Jesus would clarify this uh, request to Sister Lucy, who was one of the children seers who eventually went into the convent. And some years later, Jesus asked her to ask the Pope to have the world consecrated to the Immaculate Heart of his mother. That was quite a, um, quite a chore for a, a, a young girl who was in a Carmelite monastery in the days before 
emails, phones and faxes that you could just you know just pick up the phone and or send an email to the Pope. You know, it's particularly if you're in a recluse order. So that in itself was an amazing request. But anyway, we won't go too much into the story. We'll save that for the time we actually cover the topic. But the third secret of Fatima then was revealed in the year 2000. And why are we talking about all this? Well, the third secret of Fatima mentions a Pope. It mentions a Pope who actually gets killed, gets assassinated. And when Pope John Paul II was recovering in hospital, it said that he asked to read all that there was on Fatima, and he read the third secret of Fatima himself. And he realized that he was, in fact, that Pope mentioned in the third secret of Fatima. The third secret of Fatima is... Um, Again, we'll save it and go into it in detail. Just to give you the outline of it, basically it talks about a bishop clothed in white who is the Pope. He makes his way with great effort towards the cross and around him are the bodies of those who were martyred. Now, it's interesting that the prophecy was actually the Pope dies. It tells us something about prophecy, not necessarily locked in concrete. If we respond to the warning, then... Future events can be changed through our prayers. In other words, this is so often happens. Mary comes to warn us that we are on a path to something bad, something um, self-destructing, like the prediction of those wars. But she comes as a mother to warn us and says, change, change. And so what happens? John Paul lives when he spoke, John Paul says, and he spoke of it in later years, he said, a mother's hand guided the bullet. And it's the doctor said, it's amazing that he lived. First of all, his assassin was a professional assassin. So he was a pretty good shot. He was at close range. But the bullet actually hit his finger. The Pope was blessing people. So when the bullet actually hit the finger slightly deflected the bullet it would seem but amazingly the bullet went through him and out the other side and did not damage vital organs and did not cut his spine and in fact you know, some of the doctors have said really they can't understand why that didn't happen it's almost like the bullet did like a curved path which um, doesn't make sense but somehow he he miraculously was saved and to John Paul there was no question of the reason why he kept saying a mother's hand guided the bullet so in other words Mary's intercession saved the Pope's life and the prophecy was not completely fulfilled in all in that sense that the Holy Father would have died can you imagine if John Paul II would have died in 1981 my goodness it's hard to imagine what the church would be today without him so John Paul then from his hospital bed made the first Marian consecration. Now other popes in the past had tried to fulfill Mary's request and consecrate the world to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. But Sister Lucy would later comment when popes had tried that it did not fulfill Mary's request because it wasn't done in unison with the bishops. So in 1984, on the 25th of March, the world's bishops were in Rome, and while they were there, 
he made the act of consecration and entrustment of the world to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And this turned out to be a key event. This happened in 1984, and we know that in 1989, the Berlin Wall came down. And if you're old enough to remember, the concept of the Berlin Wall coming down seemed like fantasy. It seemed impossible. And when it did happen, it happened in such a way that even today, commentators scratch their head and really can't say how it happened or, or why it happened. And it just seemed to happen in, in almost, almost a humorous way. Uh, there's been documentaries on it and guards just opened up the gates and, and the people came out in the street. It's an amazing event. And, you know, we Catholics shouldn't be surprised. We've been praying for it since 1917. Why should we be surprised? But the interesting part is that the conversion of Russia, which Our Lady spoke about, and which has still got a long way to go, as we can see, it couldn't even begin while communism was ruling and the Iron Curtain was up. So it's interesting, within a few years of that one prayer of the Pope, in unison with the bishops, was able to bring down the Iron Curtain and today we still have trouble trying to explain it in political terms. These things are real. When Our Lady says these things, these things are real. When God works, we can just defy human logic. We really need to, to take on board this and live this. And when you see it lived out in John Paul's life, it's an incredible story. It's an amazing story. But it's the truth. It's God acting in the world history of our salvation being played out. Pope John Paul would often talk about the signs of the times. And St. Louis de Montfort spoke of a great Marian age that was to come. And it's my own personal belief that John Paul understood that he as Pope was ushering in that age. But we'll speak more about that when we cover Marian apparitions. So I think we'll leave it there for today. Thank you very much for joining us. It's so wonderful to talk about John Paul, and particularly when we look at his role in this era that we live in, and particularly through a Marian focus, we really see the importance of Marian devotion, and we see the power of Marian devotion. It's not just some um, mere sentiment. It's a real power that God has given the world and wants us to use for our salvation and for His glory. So thank you very much. That's all from our Queen, our Mother. But don't go away because we'll be right back with our special guest speaker for today. Today we have Tony Grace as our special guest. Tony is originally a convert from the Anglican Church. He's been married to his lovely wife Lorraine for 53 years and they have produced six children and 16 grandchildren. Their children three boys and three girls and one of them is Father Andrew Grace which many of our listeners might know who's been a priest now for 11 years. 
Tony is a retired bank manager. He's worked diligently for the, well, I suppose we could call you a lay missionary in the church. He's been involved with Marriage Encounter for 10 years, Antioch Youth Minister for five years. He takes pilgrimages to Penrose Park, which is south of Sydney, and he also does international pilgrimages to um, Marian Shrines in Europe. He's been a very strong promoter of the Marian movement of priests, Senecals, for the past 23 years. And he's very active in his own parish in Strathfield, particularly with the Lenten Home Groups of, for the past 23 years. So welcome to the program, Tony. Oh, thank you, Paul. Thank you. Makes me feel old. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've achieved a lot. I'm sure the Lord is pleased with your commitment and you inspire us all. Tony... I wanted to ask you, as a convert to the Catholic faith, did you find it hard at first to understand how Our Lady fits into the, the faith picture and, the, and sort of maybe some obstacles that you might have had in those early days trying to understand Our Lady? Mm. Mm. Yes, I did, Paul. Uh, growing up as a Church of England, as it was called then, my father was very anti-Catholic. Uh, we had a lovely Catholic family next door to us, um, five boys, and um, my father would rubbish the Catholic Church because they belonged to it. He'd um, say derogatory things about the Pope. He'd say um, it's impossible of Mary to be the mother of God. So I grew up with this negativity against the Catholic Church, but not like my father. Always sort of suspected the Catholic Church <laughs> until I met Lorraine, and she introduced me to the Catholic Church and. What I've discovered, the three hardest things for a convert is the Pope. Very difficult for, to understand how the Pope is the direct successor of St. Peter. So therefore the current Pope is truly the Pope, just like St. Peter was. The Eucharist, how Jesus is really present in the Eucharist. And Our Lady. So she's the third most difficult concept, being the Mother of God. Did not make sense. But gradually, gradually it all came to me, mm -hmm. bit by bit. It, it wasn't, it wasn't a, a sudden change of attitude. It was just a gradual thing. Cause, and Lorraine was such a model like Our Lady. She wouldn't like me saying that. But, <laughs> but she's always impressed me as a very loving sort of person. And she claims that Our Lady pushed her into my lap. This day, 55 years ago, believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> she reckons Our Lady pushed me, and because uh, I know I wouldn't have made any advance to her. But anyway, that's how it happened, and uh, we fell in love. And she gave me a miraculous medal. And then my conversion to the faith, seeing about the Pope and the Eucharist, happened on the Feast of the Miraculous Medal, the 27th of November, mm. 1957. So that, that was my first... I didn't realize it was that feast day, but looking back, that was sort of a real trigger in getting to know Mary. The bank sent me to Burke, back of Burke, and um, I wasn't a Catholic then, and I would go to Mass every day and not receive the Eucharist, but the priest must have been puzzled about me and invited me to his presbytery, and that night gave me a pair of rosary beads and he said, these have rested in the grotto at Lourdes. And uh, that didn't mean much to me. Anyway, I took them, thanked him very much. At that stage, 
that was my first pair of rosary beads. Lorraine didn't give me a pair of rosary beads. And as I look back, it was the 100th anniversary to the day of Our Lady appearing at Lourdes. Oh. So it was, it was the 11th of February, 1958, when he gave me that pair of rosary beads. So it's been a gradual little process, step by step by step. She's been very gentle with me. You mentioned Marriage Encounter. Yes, we're involved with Marriage Encounter. Our very first weekend as team, there's a question there, and I don't want to give things away in Marriage Encounter, but there's a question there on Sunday morning where you write to each other for 90 minutes and say, why do I want to go on living with you? <laughs> and you know, I wrote my, my love letter to Lorraine, and it turns out I'm writing to Our Lady. <laughs> and I, I just wrote this beautiful love letter to Our Lady. And that weekend I fell in love with her. That was back in 1975. Another time a, a priest invited us to give talks to teenage girls about dating, courting and marriage. And he said, we've got a direct descendant of St. Louis Marie de Montfort here listening to you. Probably a bit facetious because her name was Marie de Montfort. <laughs> Going home, I, I said, Lorraine, oh, that's fascinating. Haven't we got a book about that? She said, yes, we have. Would you like to read it? I said, I'd love to read it. Well, I read True Devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary and then really discovered who she was. It's a beautiful explanation as to who she is. So she's certainly somewhat of a hidden person to many people unless you start going looking for her and... Oh. and try to discover who she is. So she's very gentle. She doesn't push her way in. That was a great explanation of who she was to me. Tony, what, what was the one thing that um, that really touched your heart? I know, I, I, obviously there were many things, but can you recall one thing in particular that particularly touched your heart that made an impression um, to sort of introduce Mary into your spirituality? I guess the, the gradual build-up, this writing a love letter to Mary was totally out of context. Uh, it was supposed to be a love letter to Lorraine. <laughs> and, um, and for some reason, I wrote it to Our Lady. I guess it was like exploring and, and gradually coming to terms and gradually realizing, I'm, I'm in love with you. <laughs> and, and it was a, a truly love letter. I still have it. So it, it was very special to me. She has been so good in many, many other little events in my life. We got very involved with the Marian Movement of Priests and, and the book called To the Priest, Our Lady's Beloved Sons is a continual falling in love with Our Lady as we read her messages. We had a cynical day in Polding Centre, as we do every Tuesday at 1.05 with the Cardinal's approval. It's just an ongoing romance, if, if you like, uh, love with Our Lady. I can't really describe one particular sweeping conversion. As I said, she was very gentle with me. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I look back and see all these little events taking place. I look back and I know that if you have a good relationship with your mother it's ever so much easier to fall in love with Our Lady. Yes, very true. And uh, I'm an only child, and my mother just thought I was wonderful. <laughs> and, uh, it was embarrassing that, you know, I, I used to sort of 
cringe about the way she loved me so much. So I think that had a big connection too in helping me to love Our Lady, mm. our real mother. Tony, there's probably a lot of listeners out there who have um, non-Catholic friends or there could even be uh, non-Catholic listeners who like to uh, tune in and listen to us. Yes. Um, how would you explain Our Lady to people of other faiths? Yes, we knew a, a lovely convert. He was a Parsi. That's a, a Persian religion. And he became a Catholic. And his opening remark to people who challenged him about the faith was, look up the book of Genesis 3.15 and read it and say, who is that woman? So I will make enemies of each other, you and the woman your offspring and her offspring. So he said he would challenge his friend saying, who is the woman? And of course, if you're sincere in searching for who is that woman, it's Our Lady. Then, of course, we have this wonderful, um, the miracle of Cana. Jesus changes the water into wine at her request before his time. So she has a great influence on Jesus. There's the first miracle. She has such a wonderful influence on Jesus, he just couldn't refuse her. And that's our clue that he can't refuse her anything. Then we've got the great foot of the cross. John describes the mother, mentioning mother five times, but then says to her, woman, this is your son. So again, woman refers to Genesis 3.15. Okay, mysterious woman. Why did he say woman when mother's mentioned five times? So that, that's another great clue that she is someone really special. And finally, you get the book of Revelations. Now a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman adorned with the sun, standing on the moon, with the 12 stars on her head for a crown. Because that really, you can link very much to Fatima, uh, approved by the church. So... That, that clue of woman going through the Bible, you've got to find out, tell you, Christian friends, you've got to find out who that woman is. That, I think, is probably the best way to enlighten people if they're serious. That's good, Tony. Finally, the question I like to ask my guests, how has Our Lady helped you to get to know Jesus better? Because really this is the yes. purpose of Our Lady, to bring us to Jesus. That's and right. This right. is a very important question and everybody yep. gives yep. their own perspective from it. So I'd love yep. you to share with us today sure. how that's happened yep. for you, Tony. Yep. Yep. Okay, well, look, I'd like to quote the Catechism for a start. What the Catholic faith believes about Mary is based on what it believes about Christ. And what it teaches about Mary illumines in turn its faith in Christ. Just three lines. Such a powerful statement from the Catechism. She has taught me to love Jesus like she loves Jesus. Now, I can't do it as well as her, but she's a constant teacher teaching me how to love Jesus more. Now, we, we went on a pilgrimage back in 89 to a shrine we kept hearing the homilies about reading the Bible daily. Anyway, when we came back from the, the pilgrimage, 
I said, Lorraine, we better start reading the Bible together. <laughs> so we argued as to where we'd start. Um, she wanted to start with the Acts of the Apostles. I said, no, let's start with the Gospel. Let's start with the first Gospel, Matthew. Well, she agreed. So we read Matthew 1, 1 to 25. And being a methodical person, I thought, I'll write that on the calendar. So I wrote Matthew 1, 1 to 25. 2nd of October 1989, to my amazement, the Columban calendar had a picture of exactly what we just read. It was a beautiful painting there of Matthew 1.20. And the hairs just stood up on my head. I just went goosey all over. And it was Jesus saying, at last you've got the message. At last. So we've been reading the Bible every day together, praying the Bible, Lexio Divina style. And that teaches us, too, to love Jesus. So Our Lady triggered that off in me. So Our Lady pushed for that daily reading of the Bible. And so we've been doing that ever since for now for 23 years, and mm. we just know it's a great way because he is the Word. He's the Word made flesh. So you get to know Jesus by reading his Gospels. What other way? Oh, because the Rosary, the Rosary is a great, Christ-centered prayer, meditating on the life of Jesus and Mary, and that helps us to grow in love with Jesus all the more. I'm amazed at the popes, all the different popes that have requested that the rosary be prayed, and now especially that wonderful encyclical that John Paul II wrote on the Most Holy Rosary and introducing the five mysteries of light. That's a beautiful encyclical pinpointing Jesus and Mary and your greater love for both of them through the rosary. Well, Tony, thank you very much for um, sharing all this with us today. It's been really uh, interesting to hear your story and the fruits that have come from your Marian devotion in the sense speak for themselves. So thank you for sharing that with us today. Thank you, Paul. So please join us next time on Our Queen, Our Mother and we'll continue our look into the graces of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Radio.org.au